Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. All the fathers who are watching on Facebook, God bless you. We're glad you're with us. And we're getting tremendous response, by the way, on Facebook. Uh, thousands of people watching uh, on Facebook, and we are grateful to God for that. And we pray that Facebook won't so dislike something I have to say that they decide that they're going to take me off. Um, so far, thank God that does, that has not happened, and we don't expect it to, or want, certainly don't want it to. But you know, there is this big debate whether these big tech firms, uh, organizations, are platforms to allow people to have a free exchange of ideas, or they are controlled communication entities that only want the ideas that they agree with to be propagated. And Twitter, as you all probably know, Twitter banned me uh, a year ago now, said that they were suspending me pending appeal. I appealed, but somehow the appeal never got heard. Uh, so I've been off Twitter now for a year. And, uh, and a lot of people have faced the same kind of, of situation. I guess some have appealed and I've not spent my time. I've, I've gone to Parler, which is a new Twitter type platform that, uh, that is more open to the free exercise of ideas and exchange of ideas. And I'm using them and we'll see what the Lord does about Twitter. Uh, but these, these big tech folks need to be reined in and realize they are not the censors and they are not the people who get to determine who can be heard and who cannot. Uh, that's just not their role. If that's the role they're gonna play, that they're gonna have to be regulated like, like, uh, like the telephone company or, or some other entity, if that's the role they think they're going to play. Amen? Yeah. Amen, amen. All right. The scripture for today is in Psalm 22, verses four through five. And of course, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, our fathers trusted in you they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Psalm 22 verses four and five. I wanna talk for a few minutes on this subject. Where are the fathers? Where are the fathers. So today is Father's Day. And before we get started, I, I want to talk to, of course, I'm going to talk about the importance of fatherhood. But before we get started, I want to dedicate this message to all of you fathers who are watching right now, to all of you who are here who are fathers. But I also want to dedicate it to a group that is being vilified today. I want to dedicate this message to the memory of our founding fathers. Because I really believe that our founding fathers are being unfairly and unjustly vilified uh, and that they need to be honored for having bequeathed us the greatest nation mankind has ever known. And while people are busy tearing down their statues and defacing their statues and even going after people like Abraham Lincoln, I'm wondering whether Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington particularly will be next because a lot of people on the left don't like Booker T. Washington because he was a person who believed in self-help and do for yourself and, and, and try to create as much independence for yourself as possible. That was his message to the black community. But to this day, he is vilified by people on the left as an accommodationist. So I'm wondering whether his statues uh, will be torn down and the, the, the university he started, Tuskegee University, will somehow be vilified as well uh, because he started at one of the great universities and produced the Tuskegee Airmen 
who were critical in World War II, and, uh, and yet his memory is, is often defamed. So I want to dedicate this message to all of those fathers, the founding fathers, and fathers like Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King, fathers of our culture, who I believe were interested in bringing us together as one nation rather than ripping us apart. And I know that may not be popular in some quarters, uh, but I, I feel all the better saying it for just that reason. <laughs> I also want to dedicate this Father's Day message to Donald Trump. Because you know, one of the ways Donald Trump doesn't get credit, Donald Trump has raised some wonderful children. Now they're not perfect, but I'll tell you what, they're a far cry from the self-destructive kids we often see of the rich and famous, um, the Paris Hiltons of the world, and, and, and even many of the Kennedys who are dying of drug overdoses and, and, and doing all kinds of vile things to, to, to bring shame on their families. And uh, Donald Trump's children have really been models of behavior. They've, they've helped with their father's business to expand it and to grow it. They've started their own businesses. Uh, and I, I think it says a lot for him that in spite of the rap that people give him about his marriages and whatnot, but it says a lot for him that he has loved his children, cared for them, they love him and are sticking by him. Uh, and so I want him to know that there are those of us who see that, observe that, and we appreciate that because what we need are more fathers like that in our culture today. I also want to dedicate it to my own father, the late William Jackson. The, the youth center is named after my father because my father was such an important factor in my life. I've said, other than Jesus himself, the person who most shaped who I am was my father, William Jackson. Uh, and my uh, wife and daughter were just saying, the older I get, the more I look like him. But, but I tell you, I, I don't just look like him. I think like him, I talk like him. <laughs> you know, in many ways, I'll, I'll see myself sometime and go, that's Bill Jackson. Uh, so I, I, wanna, I wanna honor my own father. And then, of course, most importantly, to our Heavenly Father, Father God, without whom we wouldn't even have a clue what being a father means. God is the perfect father. And I want to say to all of those who, of you who might be listening, and I know there are people watching right now who've been abandoned by their fathers. I'm going to get into that. I want you to know there is a father for you. And, and, and Father God loves you. And, and, you know, so often the, the, the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children in the sense that whatever hurt and pain fathers have caused their children, those children tend to repeat. Uh, they tend to, to repeat the same destructive or self-destructive behavior that their fathers have foisted upon them by their abandonment or their neglect or their abuse. Uh, and I just want you to know the father God is able to heal that. He's able to heal whatever abuse you suffered at the hands of your father. And you know, the thing is, it, it, it is nothing but the pollution of sin. That's all it is. It's the pollution of sin ruining people's lives. And as a result, that ripple effect affects generations yet to come. Uh, so we, we, we honor Father God today because he is the perfect model of what a father is and we all need ultimately to look to him. I had a wonderful father, but he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect, but my father God is. Amen? Amen. Father God is. So let's begin at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, you can go there, but I'm going to read it for you in the interest of time. Uh, it says, 
And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. What do you think when Adam awakens, literally with God in his face, what do you think is the first thing God said to him? Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but, but, but I believe we can come to a reasonable conclusion on the basis of another text that talks to us about what God says to Jesus when he again brings him into the world. And I believe it's, it, it boils down to this. When Adam awakens in the presence of God, comes into consciousness for the first time, what he hears God say is, I am your father and you are my son. I am your father and you are my son. He said, well, now, Bishop, how can you, why do you believe that? Because Hebrews chapter one, verse five says, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. That's what Jesus, that's what, that's what the father said to Jesus when he raised him from the dead. It says, and again, he said to him, because we know he was the son of God from the foundation, before the foundation of the world. He is God a very God, but he gave everything up for us. And the father says, but I will say again to him, you are my son today. I have begotten you. And I will again be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I believe that's the first thing Adam heard. I am your father and you are my son. And Jesus, by the way, is called the last Adam. So it makes sense that what God said to the last Adam is what he would have said to the first Adam. Amen? Amen. Amen. So then the first lesson then that God has got to teach Adam, if that's the first thing Adam understands, you are my father, I am your son. God says, yes, I am your father, you are my son. Then the first lesson that God teaches is the lesson of relationship between father and child. That's got to be the first lesson. God created mankind to be the recipient of his love and to love him in return. And so the first thing God has got to teach Adam is, I love you and I've made you so that you can love me in return. And so it begins with a love relationship between father and son. You know, God made us, by the way, not only capable of love, but with a need to love and be loved. Every human being has it. And when they don't get it, bad things happen. In fact, think about this. this is, I want you to remember this principle. The love of the father was the first love in the first man's life. Eve came later. The love of the father was the first love in the first man's life. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. That's the first love that the first man ever knew. And you got men and women all over this country and the world for that matter who've been denied the very first thing that God intended for mankind. To know the love of the Father and to be able to give love to him in return. 
No wonder we've got such social problems. That need is deep, it's profound. But, 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 and, and, and look, remember, we, we say love and, and because it's a word that is so overused in life. I mean, we use it all. I, I, I love that food. I love this car. I love, you know, we just you overuse it. But we're talking about agape love, deep, profound, almost unfathomable, uh, uh, unconditional love. You know, God didn't stop loving Adam after he sinned. He still loved him. Because that was God's purpose for him, to, to love him and to be loved by him. It was Adam, by the way, who lost his first love. <laughs> because once, of course, he sinned against God, he had a different attitude toward God. And by the way, when Eve was created, she became part of that love relationship. So, so she knew, she knew the love of God. See, I'm convinced that when Adam, when Eve was taken out of Adam, and Eve was, of course, given consciousness. She, too, knew first the presence of the Father. And so she was taught the love of God, too, and then the love of her husband. And the two of them were partners in this love relationship with God. Amen. You all getting this? Praise God. So, so, and, and remember, so before sin, they hear the Father walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they would run to it run to it. And then after sin, they ran from him. Just like children today, if they know they've done something to please their father, they want to run to him. But when they think they've done something to make their father upset or angry, what do they do? They want to avoid him. And that's exactly what they did. But that need for love, for the love of a father, goes back to our very origins. And it's deeply ingrained in our, in our souls and in our psyche. We need it. And it's a major deficit in our culture today. In fact, notice the discussion Jesus had with the disciples when he told them he was about to leave them. Go to John 14. John 14. Look at verses 6 through 8. John 14. I want you to see this. It says, and you can catch up with me when you get there, but it says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know what's interesting is that what Jesus is saying there is that my ultimate will is to usher you into the presence of the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the conduit through which you come into relationship with the Father. The relationship that Adam broke. I'm the one who comes and renews that relationship for you. Seventh verse, if you had known me, you would have also known my father. For from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, and listen to this, this is, this is profound. Philip says, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. And you know what Philip is saying? Philip is saying, I do have a father deficit can I meet him personally? Just like people all over this country today, some of whom never met their fathers, never knew their fathers, don't, or, or became estranged from them at an early age and, 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 and therefore don't really know them. They know they exist, but they don't really, and they, and they met them sometimes at a much earlier age. They know they're there, they know they're around, but they don't know them. And Philip says, Lord, I want to meet my father. 
I want to meet my father. And Jesus goes on to explain that he is the perfect reflection of the father. And when you meet him, you in effect meet the father. Amen. Amen. In the, the beginning of the night verse, Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me, he does the work. Philip, you are not only seeing him, you are experiencing the love of the father in what you see from me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so we want people to be reunited with the Father. Jesus is the only way for that to happen. Amen. So when you meet Jesus, you meet the Heavenly Father because he's the perfect reflection and representative of who the Father God is. In fact, go to John 16. John 16, verse 26. And to, I, I, what I'm trying to underscore is how important this father relationship is. Have you ever considered this? Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And you got people running around changing the genders of the Bible. You know, they want to change Jesus gender to the person. The person of God. And they want to change God the Father into, I, I forget what they do, but they, there's a whole feminist Bible and a whole bunch of people say, we got we to gotta de-gender, we, we got we to gotta make the Bible gender neutral. But you know, God chose to reveal himself as Father. He didn't do that. He didn't flip a coin. Obviously, there's something that in, in his design for mankind and his plan and purpose for us in which he wanted us to understand who he is to us in his essence, and he revealed himself to us as father, not his mother, but his father. Now we know that mother and father together represent attributes of God. Amen? Amen, because God is nurturer, God is, is, is comforter. I mean, he's all of those things that we might associate normally with motherhood, but he revealed himself as father. So look at this, John 16, beginning at verse 26, Jesus says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And what Jesus is saying is, and you are going to have intimate and personal connection to the Father too. Amen. Is that what he says? He says, I do not say to you that I shall pray the father for you, for the father himself loves you. Do you know God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus? I mean, he's got to because he sent Jesus to, to pay the ultimate sacrifice for you. Amen. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. 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 So look, the need for a father is a deep desire within every human being. And one of the greatest works of the devil is to destroy that relationship. That's, that's one of his supreme works, 
to destroy that, to destroy the family, to destroy fatherhood, to destroy what it means to be a father. When you hear all these feminist, crazy feminist ideas about the patriarchy of the family and, and you read on Black Lives Matter website that, that we got to get rid of the Western nuclear family, all of that is straight out of the devil's playbook. That's demonic. Because the family is not a Western idea. It is a biblical idea. It's not an idea of white people or black people or Hispanic people or Asian people. It is God's idea for mankind. You got a bunch of people running around trying to racialize it and make it like it's some kind of, the feminists make it some kind of institution of slavery to enslave women and children. It's a tool of the capitalist society, Marxism would teach you. All of those are lies out of the very pit of hell. But that's, that's Satan's work. That's Satan's work. Because of anything God creates, he wants to destroy. Amen? Amen. Amen. So look, a USA Today article written by a woman named Jaquela Mordecai, and she's not writing particularly from a Christian perspective, but I want, to he I want you to hear what she's got to say. She tells a story about her father and mother breaking up when she was about two years old and that she saw him for a little bit of time after their breakup, but then ultimately he stopped contacting her. She lost track of him. She didn't see him anymore. And then in the ninth grade, she tracked down her, her, his, her father's mother and went to see her. And when she went to see his, her father's mother, she said, I, I'm gonna call him. So she called him and got him on the phone. Now she has not talked to her father now since she was basically a toddler and now she's in ninth grade. And here's what she says about what she was feeling. She said, I developed an intense need to have my real father back. I started to despise men. I had a boyfriend, but he abused me, including throwing me against a subway window. So finally in the ninth grade, she locates her father through his mother and he calls her and puts him on the phone with her. And here's what she said. When I heard his voice, I couldn't help but become emotional. I consider it one of the best moments I had in my life. But after that, I rarely heard from him. No text messages, no phone calls, nothing. A postcard would have been fine. This stuff will bring you to tears. It said it would be almost six months later for me to finally know that he was still alive. It hurt inside because I thought he wanted to be a part of my life. At this point, my emotions went haywire. I needed to yell. I needed to go on a rampage. The more people don't understand, the more I wanted to get angry, which made me an outcast to society. They didn't know where happiness, where my happiness went. No therapy could tame me and no religious talk could save me. I was gone. Now that's, that's a young woman expressing what she felt like to be abandoned by her father. See, most social problems come, she didn't go into detail, but obviously she was doing some bad stuff before she got her life together. But most social problems come back to this issue, fathers abandoning their children. 20 million, one out of four children in America live without a father in the home. And many of those who live with a father in the home don't live with their biological father. And praise God for these stepfathers who come in and really become real fathers to their children. God bless them. But you all know that in many instances, it doesn't work out that way. And even when it works out well, 
children still want to know their biological father. So fatherless homes produce 63% of youth suicides, and we have youth suicide climbing in this country. 90% of homeless and runaway children come, away, come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders. 71% of high school dropouts. There's a big thing about high school dropouts now. Most of the dropouts are coming from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent drug addicts. 70% of juveniles in youth correctional facilities come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth offenders who graduate to adult prison come from fatherless homes. 80% of convicted rapists, fatherless homes. 70% of adolescent murderers. Adolescent murderers have no father in the home. And here's perhaps the most damning point. The Journal of Marriage and Family, and by the way, those statistics come from the Bureau of, uh, well, they come from several sources, but one is the Census Bureau report, uh, and some of them come from the, uh, you know, well, primarily the Bureau of Census, some from the National Principals Association report on the state of high schools, the Center for Disease Control, a number of other different sources, but all of these I have sites for. But the Journal of Marriage and Family reports that men who have been abandoned by their fathers are more likely than not to abandon their own children. And that women who have been abandoned by their fathers are more likely than not to choose men who will do the same to their children. So this thing is a generational curse that is being passed down from one generation to another. Look at this, children from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide, 10 times more likely to abuse drugs, 20 times more likely to suffer mental illness, 20 times more likely to do hard time in prison, and 14 times more likely than a child from a two-parent family to commit murder. All this looting that's been going on in these riots, I guarantee you see the people who are doing that, and you trace back, you'll find out that there's no father in the home, or the father is in prison, or the father is a street thug like the kid is. And that's where he learned it from. And by the way, here's an interesting fact. I've shared some of these statistics before, but here's an interesting fact that I just discovered. Because, you know, I've had people say to me, uh, because, you know, we're living in a world now where there's a lot of talk about systemic racism. And I had some people approach me and talk about the fact that um, black women are 2.5 times more likely to die in maternity than white women. By the way, here's an interesting thing that you don't hear much, but they're three times more likely to die in maternity than Hispanic women. Hispanic women have a better maternity health rate than white women for, for you know, so maybe, maybe it's not systemic racism. But, but I've, I've heard this, and, and, and I said facetiously one time, somebody probably upset them a little bit when I said it, I said, so what, what are they doing, murdering them? Because you see, when you say, well, the reason is systemic racism, to me, that's like the ghost in the machine explanation. You can't put your finger on anything. All you know is there's a disparity in outcome, and therefore, it must be that. But you know what's just interesting to me? That they don't ever apply that to abortion. 37% of the abortions performed in America are performed on black women, but somehow, that's not racial. 
Well, that's because the devil's fooled everybody into believing that somehow, you know, abortions and the killing of unborn babies in New York, more black babies are aborted than born. But somehow that's okay. Well, no, that's not a racial issue.